says, how many of you like that groove? Come on, let me see a hand this morning. We all, we all like that 70s groove. I saw some of you kind of doing a little swag there. Man, it is going to be an amazing summer. That's just a little sneak peek of what we are looking forward to over the summer months. We're actually calling it Summer of Love, and we're just going to do a lot of things to not just experience the love of God, but to show and to demonstrate the love of God to our community and to our world, and this is going to be an awesome, awesome summer. And I just want to, uh, real quick, just before I even elaborate on that uh, a little bit more, I just want to give a quick shout out and kind of a yay God and a yay you for um, inviting people last weekend for our Mother's Day. It was just an incredible Mother's Day. I don't know uh, how many of you are here. I'm assuming a lot of you are here. And, uh, I, I really do pray that the moms and the ladies of, of our house truly were honored and blessed and encouraged. And uh, last weekend, uh, we actually had just under 1,000 people a part of our services. And it, what was awesome is that through that, we had 22 individuals give their lives to Jesus Christ last weekend. And... Uh, 28 first-time guests, and uh, so it's just really awesome. Thank you for inviting your friends, and it's always special when uh, families invite you know, other friends and family members to be a part of a very important and special day like that. And then also, as I just stated, because of the different things going on uh, with the summer months, I just want to give you a quick uh, little snapshot of some of the things we're looking forward to. Uh, one of those things actually is going to be happening right out of the gate, uh, our first week of the summer, uh, that first week of June, we're going to be uh, taking our first mission trip. So we're going to be loading up folks to go to Camp Bahamas, and so we're excited for that. And uh, it's just going to be an amazing time as we share with the Haitian and Bahamian um, folks there uh, on the bah on the island of Eleuthera. And it's an amazing camp that really ministers to Haitian and Bahamian orphans. And so we bring um, our, our community together in that area, and it's just an awesome, awesome thing that we do. Been investing into Camp Bahamas now for uh, right at a decade, and it's been awesome to see what God has done. Another thing we're excited about, of course, is our life group summer semester kickoff. We're going to be doing training next weekend as well as the, uh, the first weekend of June. And so if that's an area of interest that you have of doing a short six-week uh, summer study uh, in the form of a life group, we actually are going to give people opportunities to sign up and be a part of that. But we also even have a very powerful six-week study on really just understanding and really uh, applying the love of God to our lives. And so it's a great video teaching that uh, I would encourage you just to get uh, some friends over the summer, maybe geared around, you know, uh, a cup of coffee or just maybe an, an interest or hobby that you have and share and uh, experience that together. Another thing we're excited about, of course, one of the biggest outreach opportunities we do for the whole calendar year um, is really geared towards our children. We're calling it Adventure Week. And uh, so we just encourage you not just to involve and engage your kids. You need to go online and sign them up as I speak. It's just an incredible time and impact on the lives of our children. But it's also a great way for both men and women and students to serve our children during that week. So we would encourage you to do that. And then we're having something that we've never done before. Uh, we've done church-wide serve days, but this, this year, uh, because of the Summer of Love theme and emphasis that we're doing, we're actually going to be setting aside a weekend during the month of July, and we're going to be partnering and networking with literally thousands of churches all over North America and even other places around the world, and we're going to be serving our communities and serving our cities for the glory of God. It's going to be awesome, and so we are super, super pumped about that. And of course, the last thing that we're going to be doing with our students, 
our middle school, our high school, and even college-age students. We're going to be taking a trip to Birmingham to be a part of one of the largest student conferences in the country called Motion. And it's an incredible opportunity. They bring in the who's who of uh, Christian uh, artists and worship leaders and speakers to really speak into the lives of our students. And so let me just encourage you, you and go to our website, learn more about those things, and sign up and register for those opportunities. Well, how many of you got a Dunkin' Donut as you came in? Come on, let me see your hand. Praise the Lord, man. I, man, when you, when, you know, when, you, when you walked in this morning, you saw those donuts, didn't you just kind of feel that urge? It was just this leading, you know, to, to, to kind of gravitate to those uh, delicious, delicious donuts. Well, if you didn't get one, you can get one on your way out. But I would be safe to say that when you walked in this morning, if you did get a donut, or maybe you just walked by, you tried to, you tried to exercise a little self-control there, maybe you kind of looked at them. Uh, you know, the Bible says, you know, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, there's that, there's that little struggle, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so you may have eyeballed them, and then you kept on walking. But either way, let me just say this. You're probably wondering, what in the world does Duncan Weekend have to do with anything spiritually? Some of you are probably thinking, I get the whole issue of growing your waistline, but how does that grow your spiritual life? Well, I'm going to share with you how a Dunkin' Weekend and a Dunkin' Donut relates to your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, this is something I want you to understand. In fact, the Bible tells us in Psalm 34, verse 8, I love this verse, taste and see that the Lord is what? Say it out loud. Good. So the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or woman. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. There's something powerful about that one verse of scripture, and here's what it is. The Bible says to taste. You say, what does it mean to taste? Here's what we're tasting. We are tasting the truth of God's word. Because when you taste the truth of God's word and you hunger for him, you hunger for righteousness, here's what happens. God begins to open your spiritual eyes. So as you're hungering for God, as you're tasting his goodness, you're tasting on his truth, he not only opens your eyes, but now you're able to taste and see the goodness of God in every area of your life. And here's the result. The result is, is that your life and my life, our marriage, our, listen, our relationships, listen, our heart's desires. The Bible says, you will be blessed. But here's the key word, if we place our trust in him. So at the end of the day, your blessing, your favor, listen, when it comes to tasting and seeing God's goodness and his blessings on your life, everything has to do with your relationship with him. So when we taste God's goodness and we see from God's perspective, it's amazing what God begins to do in us and through us. And so it's all about the relationship. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit more specifically about that relationship. And one of the things that Jesus uh, emphasized to his disciples, in fact, when you look at the New Testament, there are two specific ordinances as far as the New Testament church that we're to observe and practice. The first is this. Jesus even emphasized this. One of those is referred to as the Lord's Supper, or maybe some of us are maybe more familiar with, with the statement of communion, or the, the phrase communion. And so either way, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. 
And the reason why that was so important is because he never wanted us to forget or ever take for granted the suffering, the pain, the ultimate price and sacrifice that was paid over 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung and died upon a, upon a cross and he spilt his blood for your sins and for mine. He died for the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. He died was placed into a tomb, and three days later, he came back to life. And Jesus said, Wherever, whatever you do, don't forget that. And that's the reason why we take of the cup, because it's the blood of the covenant. It's the reason why we take of the bread. Why? Because it's the brokenness of his body that was pierced and wounded for our transgressions upon the cross. So that's the first ordinance that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And then there's a second ordinance that we are to observe and, and practice in the New Testament as a New Testament church, and that is the ordinance of baptism. And what is baptism? Well, we're going to unpack that today. And the reason why baptism is so important is simply because when you think about baptism, and Jesus even emphasized this, and we'll, we'll explain it in a few more minutes uh, in more direct detail, referred to as the Great Commission, where we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them, the Bible says, and teaching them to observe all things. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we're to go and we're to be his witnesses. And so here's the thing, baptism is a very important step in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. And when you think about baptism, it's very interesting because the same process and the same progression a person experiences in their spiritual life, the transformation that occurs from death to life, the old life and the new life that takes place in the heart of a believer through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the same process and the same progression that happens is the same process and progression, believe it or not, that happens with a donut when it's actually being made. So check out this video. Hey everybody, I'm here at the Dunkin' Donuts Central Bakery where all the magic happens. This is actually where all Dunkin' Donuts are actually made and then they're sent to the individual stores. I want to give you a quick tour on how the donuts are actually made. As you can see behind me here, this is a big old heap of dough. And that dough is eventually flattened out. And then behind me over here is where the dough actually gets cut. That's where they actually make the little hole or the little yummy donut holes that we all love. That's where they're actually made. And then they go from being cut into what they call the proofer. And this is where the yeast begins to rise. Now what's interesting is that once it goes through this amazing oven and the, the proofing actually happens, the dough rises, then we're going to see the finished product as they come off the assembly line. So come check this out. So here you see the donuts that are actually coming out of the proofer onto the actual assembly line, and now you can begin to see them actually take shape. This is what we all know when we think about a Dunkin' Donut. But check this out. This is my favorite part. Notice what happens to the donuts when they come off the proof or the conveyor belt. They are actually immersed. Notice they are not only immersed, they are actually dunked in the oil. They are flipped and they are fully immersed. And once they are baked and they're cooked, they're simmering there in the oil. Both sides are perfectly cooked. My ultimate favorite thing takes place. Now you gotta see this. I'm talking about fully dunked in the best part of all, and that is the delicious, sweet, sugary icing that we all can't live without. So today, you have the opportunity to learn firsthand how an actual Dunkin' Donut is actually made. My favorite part is when they all go through the assembly line 
and they get fully immersed. They get saturated and soaked by that delicious icing. Well, today we're going to learn how that actually applies to your life. Yes. Now, if that doesn't get your taste buds flowing there, I don't know what will. Listen, do you realize that they make 150,000 donuts a day through that central bakery? That blows my mind. It's incredible what they do and what they send out. But here's the thing I want you to understand. One of the things about the process and the progression in the making of a donut has a lot of parallels to our life and the steps of obedience that we take in the life of a believer. And so there are three things that I want to highlight. Number one is this. We take a notes. In fact, if you have our app, you can open it up and follow along as I share. But the first thing is this. We're going to talk about the meaning of baptism because a lot of people have questions. In other words, they'll say, why is it so important? I mean, what's the big deal about getting baptized? Well, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 10, in fact, these are the words of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 10, verses 32 and 33, he said, if anyone acknowledges me publicly here on earth, and I, then I will openly acknowledge that person before my Father in heaven. But if anyone denies me here on earth, I will deny that person before my Father in heaven. In essence, what Jesus was saying is this. Hey, if you'll be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. Now, why in the world do we ever want to be ashamed of Jesus in light of all that he did for us? You see, I believe getting biblically and scripturally baptized is nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to be proud of. So when you think about the meaning of water baptism, here's the meaning. And here's, if you, if you want to take notes, jot this down. Baptism is a public declaration of a brand new association. It's a public declaration of a brand new association. How many of you saw the royal wedding yesterday? Come on, guys, you can confess. You can hold up your hands. Some of you guys maybe check it out too, all right? It's all over the news and it's crazy. So here you have this amazing wedding, all the hoopla and everything. Well, I'll never forget when I had my amazing wedding. It was on June 1st, 1991. In fact, uh, in just a few weeks, Michelle and I are going to be celebrating 27 years of marriage. And I always tell people, yeah, amen, I'm married up, no doubt. Um, I always tell people that was the second best decision ever made. And people say, what? What was the first, what was the first decision? Well, the first decision was, was committing my life to Jesus Christ, no doubt about it. And so the second greatest decision ever took place is when I united in marriage with her. And I'll never forget when we stood on a stage, we, we exchanged our wedding vows. We publicly declared our, our commitment toward one another. And so we had, we had, a, we had a commitment. We, we entered into a covenant relationship with one another, and obviously before God. But publicly, we were declaring our love, our devotion, our commitment to one another. And then we actually exchanged wedding bands. And so I have on my, my, my finger here a wedding band that basically is a, is a symbol. It's an outward expression of that covenant, that commitment, that devotion that I have in my heart and the commitment that I've made to my wife of nearly 27 years. But this basically lets people know, hey, I'm taken. I'm spoken for. I've made a I've made a decision, and as a result, I'm not ashamed of that. I proudly wear this wedding ring because I am publicly declaring the new association of my life with my beautiful bride. And so when you think about baptism, baptism is the wedding ring of salvation. And so we are declaring publicly what Jesus has done inwardly in our hearts and our lives. And so here's what 
baptism actually pictures. It pictures two things. Number one is this. It is a picture of what Jesus did for me. So think about that. When Jesus died on the cross and everything he did for you and for me, here's what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. And so Jesus died for your sin and for mine. And so when you think about it, it was an incredible act of love. It was a demonstration of his sacrifice. In other words, he went through something that you and I, fortunately, didn't have to go through for our salvation. He died in our place. It's what Jesus did for you and for me. But it also is a picture of another thing, and that is, it's a picture of what has happened to me. The Bible tells us in Romans 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul said these words. He said, when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. I'll never forget when I gave my life to Jesus Christ on April 22nd, 1984. I put my faith and I put my trust in the person of Jesus to forgive me, um, to, to come and take up residence in my heart. And a few weeks later after I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I took the step of obedience and I declared publicly this brand new association that had taken place in my life. So in my home church at the time, I went into the baptistry and when I went down to the water, I said goodbye to the old life, to the old sinful nature. I said once and for all, bye to my yesterday. And when I came up out of that water, I was saying, brand, I was saying hello to a brand new life. Because that's what the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any person be in Christ, he or she is a, is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So I said goodbye to the old life. And I said hello to a new life. Now here's what I want you to understand. When Jesus Christ died on a cross and he was placed into a tomb, what happened three days later? Jesus Christ, according to the scripture, came back to life. And what you've got to understand is this. Jesus Christ didn't come into the world to make bad people good. Jesus came into the world to make dead people alive. And the only way we can be alive is when the resurrection power of Jesus Christ changes and transforms our hearts and our lives. And so what you need to understand is this. The meaning of baptism is a powerful picture. It's a picture of what Jesus did for us. It is a picture of what, what has happened to us. Now, there's a, there's a second thing I want to point out, and that is the method of baptism. Because a lot of people have more questions when it comes to the specific method, the how-tos when it comes to baptism. And, you know, what's interesting is that a lot of folks, depending on maybe the way they were raised or maybe what kind of church they attended, um, maybe what someone told them, maybe a church leader uh, from a denomination or maybe a church that they were raised in, uh, maybe taught, you know, that, that baptism was to be done a certain way. And so because of that, you have a lot of confusion. A lot of people bring a lot of different questions to the table and to be very honest with you, I mean, just there's a lot of emotion attached to it. 
And so a lot of people get hung up and somewhat paralyzed from taking the next step in their, in their faith journey simply because it's the methodology that kind of confuses them. So here's what I want you to know. I just want to be as very practical and as simplistic as I possibly can and just give you what the Bible says because we can talk all day long about what this church practices and what that denomination teaches. But at the end of the day, we have to look at what the Bible actually says. And so the Bible actually says that when it comes to the method of baptism, that the method of baptism is always, especially in the New Testament, here's what you see, it is always by immersion, it is spontaneous, and it is immediate. And here's where we get that. The word baptizo is the Greek word in the New Testament for baptism. And anytime you see the word baptizo in the New Testament, here's its definition. It simply means to wash, to dip, to sink, to submerge, to, um, to immerse, or to bury. Now, what we witnessed a few moments ago in that video was very interesting. Because again, there was a process, there was a progression, and ultimately what happened is once that donut was, was made and it was transformed and it goes off the assembly line and then it is fully immersed. It is dunked in that can't live without sweet, creamy icing. Well, in the same way, here's what baptism is. Baptism is the icing on the life of a believer after their salvation. So here's what, you, here's, here's what I think would be helpful. When you look at Jesus... What did Jesus do? Jesus exemplified the methodology for baptism. In fact, in Mark chapter 1, uh, verses 9 through 11, we see where Jesus was actually baptized. Now, in this moment, you had a gentleman by the name of, of, of you know, he was, he was a, a prophet, um, one of the disciples and prophets, basically, was the, he was the forerunner of Jesus named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was out at the Jordan River. He was baptizing converts. Now, these were... Uh, these were Jews as well as Gentiles that were, that were following his message. They were embracing his message as truth. And the way to identify these individuals and a way for them to publicly to declare this new association and, and embracing this message, they were allowing John the Baptist to baptize them. So he was baptizoing these individuals. Well, that's where John the Baptist got his name. A lot of people said, I always wondered that. I, I, I thought he was just a Baptist. You know, I mean, why wasn't it he John the Methodist or John the Church of Christ or John the Assemblies of God or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. He was referred to as John the Baptist. Why? Because he was referred to as the guy who was the baptizo guy. He was the John the Baptizer. And so when Jesus showed up there on the riverbanks. And what did John the Baptist do? He called him out. He said, there he is, the Lamb of God. And so Jesus went to John the Baptist. And what was he doing? He was aligning himself with the message that John the Baptist was proclaiming. And he said, I am the fulfillment of this message. And what did he do? He allowed John the Baptist in front of all of those people as an example for us to follow. He allowed John to baptizo him. So he was taken down into the water. And here's what the scripture says. As Jesus came to, from Nazareth to Galilee, he was baptized by John in the Jordan River. And when he came up out of the water, so you've got to go down into the water in order to come up out of the water, he saw the heavens split open and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. 
And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, and I am fully pleased with you. And so what did Jesus do? Jesus allowed John the Baptist to take him down and to come up out of the water. He was dunked. He was fully submerged. And so when he came up out of the water, it was a foreshadowing of what was to come, which was what? It was the death, the burial, and the resurrection that Jesus Christ ultimately would fulfill. And so when you think about the ultimate example or the method or the model that we are to follow, why would we want to do anything different than the model and the method that Jesus exemplified for us? So here's what we need to understand. Now, depending on our background, depending on maybe the, how you were raised or how you were taught to believe, because a lot of people will say, well, I was baptized as an infant. Well, here's my, here's my words of encouragement to those who may have been baptized as an infant, or maybe you were sprinkled. My words of encouragement to any individual or any family is this. There's nothing wrong with that. In other words, if you perhaps went through that process as a child, as a baby, well, here's, here's, here's what's interesting. What we do is we affirm and we applaud any parent out of the goodness and the desire of their heart because that's in essence what every mom and dad is wanting to do. They're wanting to establish a, a strong spiritual foundation or spiritual heritage for their children. That's a reflection of the love and the heart's desire of a mom and a dad. So they're wanting to do the very best to lay the groundwork for their child in their spiritual journey. You applaud and you affirm mom and dad for doing that. But at the end of the day, you have to ask the all-important question, whose decision was that? Was it the child or the baby's decision, or was it the parent's decision? 100% of the time, people will say, no, it's the parent's decision. Again, you don't fault the parent. But salvation is a personal decision that one must make in our heart. It's not a decision that somebody else can do for, make for us. We don't get to heaven on the, coat, on, the, on the coattails of mom and dad. No, Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So salvation is a personal decision that we make in our heart where we admit to God that we're sinners and in need of a Savior. A baby doesn't process that. And so here's what happens with many people. Many people, their story goes like this. They were baptized. Later in life, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they never were baptized New Testament when it comes to following through and declaring their faith publicly before others. Every story and example you see in the New Testament Here's what you see. People hear the word of God. They're saved. They put their faith in Jesus. Then they declare their faith publicly through water baptism. And there may be some of you here today, and maybe that's kind of your story. Maybe you fall into, you know, the situation where maybe you were baptized, but later in your life, maybe as, a, as, a, as an older, older child or, or maybe a young teenager, a young adult, you heard the message, the good news of Christ. You put your faith in Jesus, but maybe you've never demonstrated your faith public through water baptism. But one of the things we learn is that baptism is spontaneous and it's immediate. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, verses 36 and 30, 38, it says this. There was, a, there was an Ethiopian eunuch that a, a, an evangelist by the name of Philip 
shared the good news of Christ with. And as they were riding along, the Bible says, they came to a small body of water, and the eunuch said, look, water, why can't I be baptized? And Philip said, you can if you believe with all your heart. And the eunuch replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So they stopped the chariot, they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So the question is, is what is it that perhaps is holding you back from taking that next step in your spiritual journey if you've never been water baptized after you've given your life to Jesus Christ? So we've talked about the meaning and we've talked about the method. Now let's quickly close with the motivation. In other words, why do we do it in the first place? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 19, in fact, these are the words of Jesus. And I love how the message uh, paraphrased translation captures this. He said, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life. And then notice, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When I was at the Duncan factory last week, I was fascinated by how they did all of this. And what I was even more fascinated is when they told me 150,000 donuts are made and then they're sent out. And I'm thinking, how do they even know where to send all these donuts? Because think about all of the Dunkin' Donuts just right here in Central Florida. So my friend, uh, Larry Lemos, who actually owns, it's, it's, it's one of the few you know, privately owned and operated uh, Dunkin' Donuts. He has uh, multiple ones here in Central Florida. And um, he has one there off of Moss Park in Narcoosey. And he's the guy who helped furnish and donate all of these donuts for us to enjoy today. But he shared with me how they do this. And this is fascinating. Because when the donuts were made, they put all of the donuts on these large racks. And then they wrap them and they put them on trucks. And then they send them to the individual stores. I said, well, how do they track? How do they know what racks to send to what stores? He said, oh, it's very simple. It's all computerized. He said, because the day before, every individual store places the order, and then once that order is fulfilled, they're placed on the racks, and then they are, they are identified by a number. So what each number represents is a specific store. So they take all of those racks that have those numbers, they put them on trucks, and then they're distributed, and they're sent to the individual stores. I thought, that's amazing, because that's exactly what the Great Commission is all about. The Great Commission is for us to go into all the world to share the hope of Jesus Christ, that good news, so that people can not only be redeemed, they can be saved and they can be forgiven and have new life and new hope and new meaning and new purpose in their life. But not only that, but to celebrate that through water baptism. And then once they're boxed up in the local church, then... As followers of Jesus, guess what? We are sent out into the world, into our workplace, into our homes, into our communities. To do what? To help people taste and see that the Lord is good. Can I get an amen? That's what our assignment is. That is the great commission that you and I have been invited into by God. To say, let's go reach the world with the hope of Jesus. And so today when you think about the... The motivation, the why behind it all, it's, it's really summarized in one word. And it's the word obedience. It's the word obedience. And what did Jesus say in John 14, 15? He said, if you love me, what did he say? Obey my commands. If you love me, obey my commands. 
one of the most important commands that we could ever fulfill in our lives and obey in our hearts is the command to declare outwardly, publicly, what Christ has done inwardly in our hearts and lives. You know, we've had the privilege through the years of literally baptizing hundreds and hundreds of people. And we already have many that are signed up to go to the beach to be baptized. As a matter of fact, uh, there in your seat, let me ask, ask everybody, just go ahead and reach uh, there in your seat or inside your worship guide. Grab this little, I have decided, because that's really what we're, we're to do. We are to make a decision. We're, we're saying, I'm deciding to declare my faith publicly. I want to get my baptism in the right biblical order. I want to be water baptized now that I know Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Christ or you're unclear about whether or not you have a relationship with Christ, I'll help you in that in just a moment. But here's what I want you to understand. In fact, the first Sunday, June 3rd, we're doing our, our first beach baptism of the calendar year. And I can't think of a more powerful and memorable place and way to be baptized and at the beach. It's just an awesome, awesome experience. If you would like to join us and mark that moment in your life, then fill this out and drop in the offering bag as it comes by, the offering bucket as it comes by here in just a few moments. But here's what I want you to understand. Jesus demonstrated this, and it was important to him. He walked 70 miles from Galilee. Think about this. By foot, 70 miles from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. Why did he do that? What was his motivation? Because it was important to him. Because he wanted it to be a foreshadowing of what was to come. And I just believe with all of my heart, there are some of you here today, maybe you've held back in this area. And I want to encourage you to take that step of obedience and honor God in this area of your life. One of my favorite stories is when Peter stood up before this massive crowd of people. And this was after Jesus had already ascended back into heaven. And, and this was the beginning. It was the birth of the local church. In Acts 2, it says, Peter's words pierced their hearts. And, and, and they said to him and to all the other apostles, I said, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. And I love this. Notice, those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So that day, some 3,000 people said, I've decided to put my faith in Jesus. And I'm declaring this brand new association with Jesus who has just changed my life. And I believe that day can be this day in your heart of making that same kind of decision. And on June 3rd, we can celebrate it publicly. We can invite friends and family. And I promise you, you won't regret it. Of all the years I've been baptizing... I've never had anybody come up out of the water and say, oh, man, I wish that I would have never done that. Every time they come up out of that water, I'm telling you, the face that people have when they come up out of that water of joy, of new beginnings and celebration is truly priceless because they are declaring publicly what Christ has done inwardly in their hearts and lives. And I pray that will be your story as well. Let's join our heads and our hearts.